This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equitymates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. We unpack all the jargon and the confusing bits, hear your stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating. And we want to have a good time along the way. So to do this, my name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity mate, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. I'm pumped that we've got this uh, Get Started Investing podcast back up and running. Yes. I um I feel like this uh, this whole podcast is going to be great, but I feel like these episodes that we're going to introduce today that I'm going to be deliberately vague so I won't steal your thunder, um, I feel like these episodes are going to be the real jewel in the crown. Absolutely. These episodes, um, as we said a couple of weeks ago, we want to be involving the community members a lot more in the Equity Mates, um, I guess, suite of podcasts, and we're going to be kicking it off today Um with a bit of a, an interview, I guess, or an open conversation with one of our community members um, or community investor, I should say. Um, her name is Candice. We have Candice on the line. Uh, Candice, welcome to Get Started Investing. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. I'm also super excited to be on the podcast. As excited as Ren? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even more. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow, wow Jeez, wow. I'm going to have to up, uh, up my excitement levels. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, what we're trying to do with these episodes, and uh, Candice, thank you for agreeing to be first, is um, not, you know, we speak to a lot of experts on the uh, Equity Mates podcast feed, but you know, there's heaps of equity mates out there at different stages in their investing journey. We're all we're all learning together. We're all, you know, facing similar challenges and you know trying to learn similar skills. So, on these episodes, we're gonna talk to members of the equity mates community and hear about their investing journeys, some of the challenges they're facing, some of the challenges they've overcome, some of the things they've learnt, um, because. Investing is much better when it's uh, when it's shared. Absolutely. So if you do want to follow in Candice's footsteps uh, and join us on the show to share your journey with the uh, the rest of the community, head to equitymates.com slash contact um, and you can fill out the form there and we will be in touch. But um, enough of that. Let's uh, let's get stuck in, Candice. How do, you, how do you feel? Ready? Sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So we're going to start with a bit of a true or false uh, to do with some of the myths that we often hear a lot of people sort of say before they start their investing journey. And we'd like to get your view on whether they the, the statement that we put forward is applicable to you, true or false, um, and perhaps elaborate if, it, if it's something that um, you want to touch 
on. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm just I'm just laughing at you explaining the concept of true or true, false. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's kick it off. So, Candice, your very first investment has been your most successful. True or false? Uh, I say false to that, but um, true in a different sense. So, false because not in terms of you know per annum percentage gains, but maybe true because you know it's the first one that got me started, and I wouldn't have made those better investments if I hadn't have made that first one. So that's hold it very I like that. I like that, Candice. <laughs> that yeah. makes me think about my Slater and Gordon investment in a whole different light. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so second statement or second question, um, true and false, uh, uh, true or false, sorry, uh, you had a strategy in place before you started investing. Very false. Um, I just kind of thought, yeah, I want to make more money than I am in a high interest savings account. So that was my whole strategy at the time. Yeah. That's that's not a bad starting point yeah, for a strategy. A strategy nonetheless. Yeah. In twenty twenty one that's a very relevant strategy. Absolutely. If you still have your money in a bank account, uh, think again. True or false, you have stayed with the same broker since day one. True, because I still use that broker, but I also have extras now as well. So um, I started off with micro investing raise broker and then I moved on to a different micro investing and I use Comsec as well. So got a bit of a plethora going. Nice. Don't have to be loyal to one. That that nice. is correct. That's yes. uh that's definitely something that we believe here at Equity Mates. Um so last last question of this true or false game. Um true or false, is investing as hard as you thought it would be before you started? False. It's um yeah, way easier than I thought when I started. Actually, kind of even boringly easy. <laughs> you know, Jeez. I see you guys with your core investment strategy, like the ETS. Yeah. It's, yeah, pretty straightforward, basic. You don't really need that much knowledge. And then you add on individual stocks and little bits and pieces here to make it interesting. But really, the core of it's, yeah, basic as. Nice, basic I like as. <laughs> Maybe that should be the tagline for this series. Investing is basic, basic as. <laughs> so let's start uh, a bit uh, with a bit about yourself, Candice. Can you uh, let the community know who you are? Perhaps what it, what you do uh, for a living, um, and then you know how long have you been investing for? When did you start your journey? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm Candice. I just exited my twenties about three weeks ago, so I'm thirty now. Uh, I live in Melbourne with my boyfriend and best friend and two cats. Uh, my hobbies are like gardening and when I'm allowed to international traveling um, for a job, I'm a corrosion management engineer. So basically, I just stop infrastructure from rusting away. Okay. And what was the last part of that? How long have I been investing? Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's been about five years now, but I've only been really serious about it for maybe three years. Nice. Nice. Um, and we're in the true or false game, you said uh, your strategy at the start was just to uh, find a way to beat a an interest rate in a savings account. Uh, in the five years since you started investing, have you developed uh, any investing goals? Yeah. So, still want to beat the high interest rate. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so, that's still there. And then yeah, once I started seeing the gains that you could make, I kind of changed the goal to wanting to build up a house deposit in five to 10 years. Um, but then I thought that's kind of 
it's taking too long, even five to 10 years for just the deposit, that's a bit depressing. So I started kind of doing some calculations on how much money I could make in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And that's when I kind of realized that, yeah, in 15 years, if I didn't buy a house and sink that all that equity into a property, I could um, save enough money where I could live off the dividends or passive income from my investments. So that's when I kind of discovered FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. And that's, um, yeah, a really big main goal of mine for investing now. So building up enough um, equity where, yeah, I can just live off the passive income and escape the nine to five daily grind type thing. Now, Candice, I think a, a number of people listening to this podcast may not be familiar with the FIRE movement, um, or they may have heard of the acronym, but not really understand what it means. So uh, can you tell us, you know, what, what the FIRE movement is and um, I guess how you are applying that to your, to your life and your investing decisions? FIRE is an acronym. The first two letters is financial independence and the second two is retire early. So they're two separate kind of philosophies in the FIRE movement. Financial independence means, um, yeah, that you're financially independent from your job as well. So you don't have to work for money. You have enough income coming in through yeah, dividends or selling high growth shares that you can live off that money. And then the second part, which not everyone goes through with, probably gets the most criticism, I think, is the retire early part. So, um, yeah, you don't have to go to work anymore, but a lot of people still do keep working. Um, there's different variants of it where you can go part-time after saving half your nest egg and then go full-time retired after another, say, 10 years after that. So, um, yeah, that's the whole principle. And the rule of thumb, which everyone can kind of use to calculate what their fire number is, how much they would have to have in equities um, to figure out if they could, yeah, never work again, is your yearly expenses times 25, and that's your fire number. So mine's so, 1.4 million. Well, I'm just thinking Bryce's with Bryce's yearly expenses, his fire number is probably like 30 mil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, not true. But um, <laughs> so, Candice, essentially what you're saying is 1.4 mil uh, is your fire number and that's the nest egg that you need to save and invest towards to the debt to then generate a yearly income of about $55,000, $56,000, which you feel is adequate enough to uh, retire early. Yeah, Exactly. Just explain just just for people who are unfamiliar with how you got that. That's that's assuming an average dividend payment of four percent. Uh, so it in- assumes average dividend of seven percent, or that you're going to sell some stocks and yeah, get an income of seven percent. But then it also assumes that there's going to be a three percent inflation. So the real gains that you're going to have each year is four percent. Seven percent feels aggressive. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm But on, yeah. on average the um global equities markets return 10%. So mm, mm. some people would say it's conservative, but that <laughs> that is like part of the there's different, you know, subsets of the movement as well. Some people go for the 3% rule where they try to save 33 times their income, I mean their yearly expenses. So 
the 25 is just the most common. Mm. So I'm really interested to unpack this a little bit because you mentioned that this is broken into sort of, the, there's two movements here. There's the financial independence and the retire early part. And of course, financial independence can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Like um, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you have quit your job. It could mean that you are still pursuing work that you're really interested in, but you're in a financial position that you're not reliant on the paycheck and you can still work part-time and pursue other interests in life. Alternatively, it could mean that you are completely divorced from working full-time and are traveling the world and, and doing your own thing. The retire early component is where the, I guess, aggressive nature of this sort of movement comes in because in order to retire early, you need to take some, I guess, sacrifices now in terms of uh, putting as much of your income into savings and investments as possible. So have you changed your, I guess, lifestyle habits now to reach this 1.4 million goal? I have changed it a little bit, but not too much. I'm probably just more um, purposeful and mindful with my spending. So I spend in line with my values instead of a bit more mindlessly, like, you know, tapping the card here and there. Um, but I think, so I'm, I'm not on fat fire. That's another variant of it where, yeah, probably from what I hear, you would be on Bryce. You get million dollars. Okay, okay, hang on a second. And so for, for people who aren't familiar with that term, fat fire is just when you have a bit of a bigger lifestyle. You, you allow your annual expenses to be a bit larger. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. But I, I think I still, um, you know, I'm definitely not eating baked beans, canned baked beans. I've heard you guys say that on the podcast <laughs> before about fire. So this. Um, so I'm not sacrificing that much, but I do track my like um, discretionary spending. Every single discretionary spend I do track, so I do know where my money goes. And I can tell you that I've spent or I'm on track to spend a thousand dollars this financial year on burritos. So that's not, <laughs> um, you know, exactly living off bare bones but that's kind of i know that i'm tracking it that's a decision i've made i'm happy with that you know what else you're gonna do in lockdown in melbourne really so on that tracking point i think that's probably um something that a lot of people in you know the early stage of their you know uh investing careers or you know getting their getting their finances sorted uh stage of their life are thinking about how, how do you track your spending and your investing and are there any tips or tricks that you've picked up or any, you know, apps or websites that you use that you would recommend? Yeah. So, um, it's been a bit of a journey figuring out how to track my expenses. I have tried all of those apps, but because I use PayPal a lot and I'll, you know, order Uber Eats in the group together and then maybe everyone will pay me back. It's really hard for those apps to keep track of those category spending. So I do it a bit more manually. I basically have like a zero um, net budget. So when I get paid, I know exactly where every dollar is going. There's things like Netflix, you know, my internet bills, union fees, that kind of thing that definitely come out. And then I have, um, I have $300 left over every week for discretionary spending, which includes food. And then that's where manual tracking comes in. And I just use a Google Sheet. So I pull it off. I have the Google Sheets app on my phone. So every time I'm out and say I buy a bar me or something, I tap it open, type bar me, put $10 in, close the app. 
Now, Candice, um, you said you were living with your partner, um, and I imagine um, fire would be difficult if uh, you know one one part partner was uh, firing away, uh, pun intended, and the other partner was spending. Um, did you have to convince your partner to get on board with fire, or uh, are they on board with fire? Yeah, that is very perceptive, and I'm still working on convincing him to um, fully get on board. He's by nature pretty frugal person, I guess, um, and we have our finances separately, so it's not too much of an issue, but he's definitely... I don't think he truly believes that you can retire at 40 or 45 just by saving a modest amount. So I think it's more of a case he'll believe it when he sees it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, Candice, um, I would love to jump into actually how you are constructing a portfolio to achieve this $1.4 million goal. But before we do, we will just take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, Candice, um, I guess the question on everyone's lips is 1.4 sounds like a, a difficult number to, to achieve, I guess, if you um, sort of sit back and think about how much you're going to need to be putting away each year. Um, so, how are you constructing a portfolio? How are you thinking about your savings each month so that um, you are, I guess, investing so that it grows into that 1.4, but then also actually provides you with this $56,000 of income that you're going to to need to live each year? Yeah, so I save about um, $30,000 a year, so two and a half grand a month. Um, and I put most of that into lots and lots of different investments. I have some ETFs is probably the core. I actually have a fair bit of cash at the moment, but that's just because I am saving for a property deposit on the side as well. I also have some managed funds, one listed investment company stocks, some individual stocks, some bonds, and some precious metals as well. So it's very diversified, have little bits and pieces there. That's the kind of keeping it interesting piece. My core really is the ETFs, like what you guys have in your portfolio. But yeah, I don't think it hurts to diversify and have a little bit of fun as well. If you weren't saving for a property, would you not just get your $1.4 million a lot sooner? Where does that sort of sit with the whole, I want to retire early, but I also need to buy the property? Yeah, so that, that's something um, I'm keen to do because it does diversify your assets and I'm planning to sell that property in probably seven years. So we're going to try and buy a place in a really desirable suburb where there should be a lot of capital growth get something that doesn't have too great of a backyard. And like I mentioned, I love gardening. I've been doing that for, you know, since I was 15. Um, so value add to the property that way. And then 
hopefully the property will go up in value in seven years, but, you know, I'm willing to wait 10 years or whatever it takes for the market to be good at the time, um, sell it, and then we'll realise those gains and we won't have to pay tax on them because you don't have to pay capital gains tax on your primary place of residence. And then we might go back to renting or if we do find that we did make a lot of money and we're in a really good financial position, we might buy another place, a smaller place. We'll see how we go. But yeah, it's kind it's kind of a money-making exercise as well. Yeah, I, I think you know the biggest determinant of poverty in retirement is home ownership and we're an equities-focused investing podcast here, so this might be blasphemous to say, but I think if you're thinking about trying to retire in your 40s or even in your, you know, if, even at you know, a more normal retirement age when you're a bit older, like having that home makes a lot of sense because, you know, one, it's a, the biggest uh, determinant of poverty, but two, like equity markets are volatile, and if we have a GFC when you're 10 years into your retirement at you know 55 or whatever what's that four percent dividend yield going to look like in terms of absolute numbers yeah well i guess that the principle is if you did have a gfc you only withdraw a tiny little bit or you do have some cash reserves for emergencies like a market a bear market that lasts for three years or something like that and i guess the worst case scenario is you probably go back to work which you know if you get 20 years off work and you have to go back to work at 60. I don't think that's a terrible outcome. Um, And most people on fire as well. And I know for myself, I won't totally quit an income. I might have, you know, a full year off or something like that, but I have little side projects and hustles and I still will be bringing in income, I think. So um, I'm not too worried about owning a home or not in terms of financial stability. If anything, I do see it as a liability because just so much of your money is wrapped up and you can't access it. Um, but it's just such a lovely luxury to have, I think, you know, have, especially because I love gardening, having that land and stuff like that. It's a real basic human desire to own your own little, little plot of land. You should just buy a block of land. And oh, no, I was going to say, if you need <laughs> income tra- in your retirement and you love gardening, but you don't own a house, you should just offer to garden for other people. <laughs> yeah, so- yeah, I would consider that. Actually, I've been, um, yeah, my, I do feel sorry for my poor partner, Nick. I'm always trying to yeah, convince him to save more money, retire early. And the latest thing I've been thinking of is, yeah, to buy a block of land couple of acres or something and i've seen these kit homes where you just buy the steel structure and their selling pitches it's if you can follow 25 easy steps and follow instructions on a phone you can like build the kit house yourself <laughs> and it's like <laughs> 50 grand Doesn't so it's like it's, amazing it's like an ikea house exactly yeah <laughs> all you need Never is an mind every time i do put ikea furniture together the drawers end up backwards and stuff like that but <laughs> yeah so I just want to put a bit of a wrapping on the fire conversation so we can close out with a few more broader questions. Um, it, you know, there's probably a, a number of people listening who are thinking that saving $2,500 a month is uh, a bit out of the realms of possibility for them. And that's obviously because they're either not pursuing the fire sort of movement as aggressively as, as you might be, Candice. Um, but I think in principle what uh, the fire movement tries to achieve is really uh, putting money away at regular sort of intervals and just consistently investing that to create uh, a portfolio that is going to be able to 
provide for you later on down the track. And I mean, at in its essence, that is exactly what Alec and I are trying to do whilst we're not doing it as aggressively as the fire movement might suggest. We are certainly still applying very similar principles. So, um, you know, for the community listening, uh, don't necessarily feel like you need to be saving towards that $1.4 million target within 15 years. Um, you know, it might take you a lot longer, but I think as I said, in principle, um, there are elements of the fire movement that I think are, are very good. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, you said people may not be able to save $2,500 a month because they're not pursuing it as aggressively. It may also just be that they're not getting paid oh, of enough. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if that's the case, I think a lot of the principles that you know they talk about in just investing generally or the fire movement can still be applied whether you can save $2,500 a month or $2.50 a month. Mm. Um and the idea is that if you learn these principles when you're young, um, you know, we started learning about investing when we were in uni and, you know, all of your budget was dedicated to a new bar on a Thursday afternoon. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that they, is true. The principles, the principles don't change. Like getting, getting your, your finances, getting those financial skills and the, that saving mm, habit knowing where ingrained going, yeah. will make it a lot easier as you start to earn more money. Yeah. Uh, I did have one other thing to say about fire, if that's sure. okay. Um, just like a bit of a pitch to you guys, I guess, and the community. You're not going to swing so- the canvas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Sh- Shark Tank style pitch us. <laughs> all right, I reckon I can do this. So obviously, I'm in, on the incredibly aggressive path. It's a real passion for me. But if you think about the retirement age for us, it's going to be 70 years old, Okay. So I want to retire at 45, but even if you want to retire at 60, you need to be on the path to five because that's 10 years earlier than what would be normal. So, and the other thing is you don't need to save two and a half thousand dollars. I've done a budget for one of my friends and worked out her fire number. So um, she can save $150 a week and still reach fire by 55. She's the same age as me because of the power of compound interest. So once you start to get um, up in those higher levels, it doesn't matter how much you save, it's more about the compound interest. So what do you think of that pitch? I don't disagree with anything you're saying there at all. And I think, look, really, if you're investing um, when you're young, you're in some ways giving yourself the flexibility that the fire movement is chasing because hopefully you'll have a decent, you know, I guess nest egg or decent decent investment portfolio by the time you're hitting that, you know, 50 years old, 60 years old. For me, I just don't feel like I'm ever going ever gonna to want to stop working. I come from a long line of workaholics in my family. <laughs> so I don't know. I think the fire movement, I, I appreciate the principles, but um, I'm not going to start my fire blog just yet. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. So three questions to close it out. Um, what is the biggest myth that you found about investing? Uh, that you need to know a lot and have your finger on the pulse all the time, that you need to know what markets are doing that, you know, this one individual company is better than the other and listen to all the ComSec updates every day that maybe, you know, you have to have an app in your phone that you even need to know the stock prices of certain companies. You don't need to know any of that. You just need to know basically about ETFs, really. 
Nice. Or managed funds, yeah. So um, what was the best resource you used uh, or you found to help you start your investing journey? So my first investment was the micro-investing app Raise. And after I signed, well, I found that just by Googling things like alternatives to high interest savings account and what's the minimum amount you can invest, those kind of things. And when I found that and signed up to that, they started sending me newsletters, which were really good. They would explain in really simple dot points why the economy was going up and then so why the money in my account was going up or down um, and then started suggesting different articles to read and I'd read those articles. They would always suggest different resources as well. I got onto Spaceship, which is another micro-investing app. So when I say micro-investing, it's like, you know, you can put in as little as $5 and there's no brokerage fees or anything like that. So signed up to that and then they have really, really great articles in a blog. That's actually how I got onto you guys. They suggested this podcast. And yeah, I don't want to blow your own horn too much, but um, yeah, I did find Equity Mates, especially the Expert Investor series, really, really good because when I started listening to the Expert Investors, like you can't get access to people like that any other way. And when I realized I could understand, started understanding what they were talking about, it gave me so much confidence to just try a lot of different things. And that, yeah, I guess that was probably the other resource if you can call it a resource just trial and error like trying is the best teacher that you can have um yeah nice and to close it out uh i mean you've only been investing for five years and sort of seriously for three but if you thought back to the the start of that period what would you kind of say to yourself um when you were first kicking off um I don't think I would say anything to myself. Like, no, yeah, I don't think I would do anything differently. I think it was all a learning experience. It's all really fun. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the journey I took. So nice. I just go back and say, yeah, yeah, keep going. Don't be afraid to get started. And yeah, awesome. I think it was all fun. Well, Candice, um, thank you so much for being the first for first community investor uh, on the Get Started Investing podcast for 2020. I hope you have um, instilled confidence in everyone listening that uh, you know they can take take on their investing journey just like you have, and also come and join us on the show to share their story and um, and we can work through their journey with them as well. So a massive a massive thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun. And uh, there is the opportunity, as we said, for, for you out there to join us on the show. Uh, Get Started Investing is all about helping beginner investors break down barriers and the best way to work out what those big hurdles are is to hear directly from you, the beginner investor. So make sure you head to equitymates.com forward slash contact, leave your details or a voice message and uh, we can get in touch about being uh, on the show. So we do really want to hear from you. Don't be shy. Hopefully Candice has made it sound super easy we don't bite so um <laughs> looking forward to hearing from you and uh ren until uh until then we'll chat next week sounds good this podcast proudly brought to you by equity mates media always remember all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only it is not intended as a substitute for professional financial legal or tax advice the hosts of equity mates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances 
Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.